Back in September of 2020, on episode 110 of SSR, I covered our first ever Sarah Dessen book, This Lullaby. To put it simply, my guests and I had complicated feelings about that throwback novel. On episode 145, we dive back into the Sarah Dessen world, and I would say it's similarly complicated this time around. My guest described our collective feelings about this book as chaotic, and I'm not sure I could have said it better myself. The book in question is Sarah Dessen's third novel, Keeping the Moon, which was published in 1999. In it, we meet 15-year-old Coley, who is being sent to stay with her aunt Mira in a small beach town while her fitness celebrity mother spends the summer promoting a new line of workout videos in Europe. After experiencing a tough stretch of bullying at school, Coley is struggling with a lack of self-confidence especially since she has yet to outgrow the insecurities she developed as a kid before losing, with the help of her mother, 45 and a half pounds. As with many other Sarah Dessen books, we are introduced to a quirky cast of characters in this small beach town who together contribute to Coley's new views on the world and herself. I especially loved Morgan and Isabel, the early 20-somethings with a complicated friendship who invite Coley into their orbit. But it's not all new friends and summer transformations. I struggled to track Coley's character arc, which my guests and I discuss on this episode. We also discuss our complicated feelings about the way Keeping the Moon depicts weight, appearance, and body image, the fictional love interests that ruined us when we were teenagers, and the makeover trope that sneaks into so many books, movies, and TV shows from this time period. We talk about the risks that Sarah Dessen takes in this book, along with the controversy that surrounded her in 2019. We chat about our favorite secondary characters and consider what the author intended for us to take away from Coley's story. I really enjoyed this interview, and I hope you love listening to it. Lily Herman is a writer, editor, and digital strategist who also co-hosts Bad Bitch Book Club's Friends to Lovers podcast with Mackenzie Newcomb. On Friends to Lovers, Lily and Mackenzie use books as a jumping off point to talk about dating, sex, relationships, love, romance, and more. Lily is currently the writer and TikToker for Yahoo's brand, The Yodel, and a culture writer at Bustle, where she gets to write about romance novels and other books, films, TV, and music. She previously worked as a contributing editor for Refinery29 and a columnist for Teen Vogue. Learn more about Lily's work at lilyherman.com. Follow Lily on Twitter at LKHerman and on Instagram at LilyKHerman. Of course, SSR is on social media too. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. And if you want to read along with the SSR Book Club, you can get all the details at www.ssrpodcast.com slash SSRBookClub or at the link in SSR's Instagram bio. In May, we are reading The Westing Game and The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, and we're gearing up to read Ballet Shoes and the first book in the Babysitter's Club in June. Join us for free. We would love to have you. Here are a few quick ways you can support and spread the word about the SSR podcast. You can leave a five-star rating or review of the show on Apple Podcasts. You can share a screenshot of this episode to your Instagram story. You can recommend it to a book or pop culture lover in your life. You can shop for SSR tote bags, t-shirts, bookmarks, and stickers at www.ssrpodcast.com shop. And you can come on board as a Patreon sponsor. For just a few dollars a month, Patreon supporters get exclusive rewards like bonus episodes, newsletters, reading recap videos, and more. Not to mention the warm, fuzzy feelings that come with knowing that you're helping this independent one-woman podcast keep going strong. Learn more at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. If you are already supporting the pod on Patreon, I hope you know how much I appreciate you. This episode is brought to you by a new anthology from Kensington, Lone Wolf by Diana Palmer, Kate Pierce, and Rebecca Zanetti. All three of these authors are New York Times bestsellers, known for their steamy romances and strong, adventurous heroines. Put them together and you know it's going to be a fun ride. Lone Wolf brings together three novellas, Diana Palmer's Colorado Cowboy, Kate Pierce's The Wolf on Her Doorstep, and Rebecca Zanetti's Rescue Cowboy Style. If you're looking for a rugged romance to help kick off your summer reading, you've got yourself three-in-one in this anthology. You can find Lone Wolf by Diana Palmer, Kate Pierce, and Rebecca Zanetti wherever books are sold. Learn more at kensingtonbooks.com. If audiobooks are part of your summer reading plan, don't forget to check out Libro FM. Libro FM has made it possible for you to support indie bookstores instead of giant corporations when you buy audiobooks. 
the audiobooks you get from Libro.fm are exactly the same as the ones you would get from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can cash in on a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. I can't wait to hear what you're listening to and loving. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Lily. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we have, this has just been like a long time in the making. I feel like we are meant to be friends. And I feel like the universe has just been heightening the anticipation of this conversation because we had a couple of misconnections with scheduling, which happens. And it just made me more excited to have you on the show because I just feel, I just feel like we just are going to have a lot to say to each other because we've been waiting. For this. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you being so kind about it was me who had the like scheduling errors, but I'm glad you're making it a we. But yes, for all the listeners, I was in fact a train wreck for much of early 2021, have since gotten my life together about 3% more. Um, but but I'm, I'm so excited to be here. It's always exciting when um, I get to come on a podcast I was already listening to. So I, you know, it's nice to know the vibe going in. Uh, and I'm, I'm beyond excited to talk about this particular book, this author, and obviously with with you. Yeah, I mean, you know my vibe. And I feel like my vibe is like, I feel like my vibe is raring to go for this book. <laughs> And I totally was not trying to call you out on Mike. It's a we thing. And I feel like it's just meant to be that we are going to have a really good conversation <laughs> after our missed connections. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, but there has to be some version of it when you just have to like wait to meet a new friend for a little extra time. So let's jump in to this book talk. We are talking about Keeping the Moon by Sarah Dessen. It was written in 1999 or published in 1999 at least. And it was Sarah Dessen's third novel. And I will preface all of this by saying that... Listeners, I know my history with Sarah Dessen on this podcast. If you go back, I will <laughs> include the link to my other Sarah Dessen episode in the show notes for this episode. Last summer, summer of 2020, I did an episode about this lullaby, which I had never read before, and I did not enjoy the reread. My guest also did not enjoy the reread, and I'm going to let you know ahead of time, my feelings about this book, equally not so great. So I'm prepared to have a horde of angry Sarah Dessen fans chasing me, and Lily, I am prepared as well to take the heat. Sarah <laughs> Dessen fans, come for me. Do not come for Lily, please. I appreciate that, though I have covered politics, so can it be worse? Actually, maybe it could be worse than like dealing with any politician stance, but I, I am prepared to have some controversy over my takes or some controversy over some of the tea I bring up. You can take it. All right. So let's start with your history, your personal history with Sarah Dessen. I'll share with you because I don't know if you listen to my other Sarah Dessen episode that I don't have like that much of a personal history with Sarah Dessen. I read a couple of the books when I was in high school. And then I think I maybe randomly picked one up when I was in college. Mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of missed her big time of publishing. And I, I didn't read a lot of YA when I was like at an appropriate YA age. I kind of skipped the category and went right into adult books, which I think is true for a lot of readers. And then the movie How to Deal came out and I was so mm -hmm. into Mandy Moore at the time. And then I found out that there was a book and it was all over. I was like, okay, Sarah Dessen. And so I read How to Deal. I think I read The Truth About Forever. And I I never read this lullaby, which I feel like was an especially popular one. And I'd never even heard of Keeping the Moon. So I've sort of built a relationship with Sarah Dessen as an author later in mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. How about you? 
Oh, goodness. I have a longer history with Sarah Dessen. Um, oh, goodness. I, you know, okay, one thing I will shamelessly plug. So obviously you all at this point in the episode know that um, I have a podcast called Friends to Lovers with a co-host, Mackenzie, who, who was also a guest on this delightful podcast as well. And our first episode of season two uh, was actually about YA books that ruined our adult love lives. And so we actually talked about Sarah Dessen a little bit in there and, and whatnot. So for me, Sarah Dessen like represents a very specific time in both publishing and YA publishing, a mm -hmm. very particular moment in terms of what was seen as kind of empowering for teen girls in yeah the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So she really brings me to a very specific place. And I will admit as like a white woman who was relatively okay socioeconomically and whatnot, I very much fit her demographic at that point in time. So I read pretty much any book of hers that came out. I mean, I want to say, yeah, I definitely, I think this lullaby was actually my first read of hers. And I read everything that came out from then on. And I think the last book I read was 2011's What Happened to Goodbye. And okay. except I will say I read the synopsis of it. And I remember like the character names and all that. I remember nothing about that last book, but I read this lullaby, The Truth About Forever. I would have probably, you know, five, seven years ago considered one of my favorite books growing up, you know, Just Listen, which I have many thoughts on, Lock and Key, Along for the Ride, like you name it. I read a ton of Sarah Dessen um, and I really liked her writing and we'll get into this more when we go more into the book. But as, yeah, as a teen, I think I found her very relatable. I really liked her characters. I liked that almost similar, to, she's almost like a, She's the perfect read for future Ellen Hildebrand readers. So if you're yeah. a teenager, you will be, if you, and if you stand Sarah Dessen, I'm pretty sure you probably like Ellen Hildebrand's books, but she was like a young, young Ellen Hildebrand kind of, or, or primer to Ellen Hildebrand books from what I, I know of Ellen Hildebrand books. Yeah. I like that comp. I think that works. Yeah. But yeah, I, I really loved her stuff as, as a teen and a preteen. I found it very relatable at the time. And yeah, I, 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 and I really felt, felt pretty strong. Like I felt good about her for a lot of even my early young adulthood. So when I had kind of aged out, I had stopped reading the books. I still felt pretty good for a time. And then obviously with a little more reflection and a few other things that have occurred in recent years, I've, I've sort of gone back. And, and as I said, that podcast episode on Friends to Lovers also delves into a little bit of those, those feels, um, so to speak. Yeah. And I'll link to that episode in the That'd show notes so that listeners, you can go check it out because that sounds like it would definitely be of interest to the SSR community. Oh, it is a fun episode. <laughs> so yeah, we, we have a little bit of everything in there. Um, if you remember the like TTYL books, we talk about those, mm -hmm. um, Gossip Girl, et cetera. So, uh, so yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Sarah Dessen was, was part of that conversation. Yeah, it's complicated. So I actually, before we started recording, you mentioned like the Sarah Dessen controversy of 2019. And I said that I didn't remember it then, but it's actually sort of slowly coming back to me as mm -hmm. we're having this conversation. But let's dig into it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I know that you were like ready and raring to share with me, so I'll let you start. And as like things come to me from that time, like we've all lived a thousand lives since December of 2019, which is why I'm not remembering it. But let's dig into that a little bit before we turn our attention to keeping the moon. Totally. So yeah, I feel like November, December of 2019 could have happened 1800 years ago. I, yeah. who, who was I in, in the winter of 2019? Oh, we were all so young and innocent. So, so yeah, so here, I, I think at some point in my twenties, I started to at some point say, you know, okay, Sarah Dessen is a very specific author for like well-off white women, like, a, or well-off white teens. I'm able to admit that and readily talk about that as I look back on that time. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily have a negative opinion. It was just like, okay, I can be real with myself about why I enjoyed Sarah Dessen's books as I did at that time period. However, so in late 2019, um, and there are tons of articles I'm sure you can link to, there are explainers, you know, you can get, I'm, I'm doing the, the broad strokes here because we do not have time to get into every single aspect of this. But basically, back in winter of 2019, Sarah Dessen randomly tweeted out a screenshot from an article talking about her books. There was no real context given to what the article was or what was going on, but it was basically a quote taken out of context and screenshotted of someone saying, you know, I wouldn't want a Sarah Dessen book to be the, you know, something that a lot of people read. It's fine for teen girls, but not for a larger audience. And so Sarah Dessen made a comment to the extent of this is, you know, this is really mean and cruel. Like I work so hard on my books. How, how sad for someone to say this. 
And what was so odd is a ton of big name authors started piling on. You know, uh, Siobhan Vivian said something to the extent of fuck this fucking bitch about whoever this anonymous person was. You had Angie Thomas on there, Roxanne Gay, Jennifer Weiner, Judy Buckle, like all these big name authors who were just dragging whoever this person was. And it came out pretty quickly. So within a day, as the internet works, that the article was from, I think it was like the Aberdeen Gazette, some newspaper in South Dakota. And it was about how this tiny university, I think it's called Northern State University in fucking South Dakota, one of the least populous states in the US, though the people of South Dakota, I'm sure are lovely. I have never visited. You all seem wonderful. Shout out to you. Shout out to you. But just, you know, not... I don't know. You're just just like, okay, great. So she found this like local newspaper. It's an article in there. And I guess they have something called like the common read, like a lot of colleges do. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head if it's just the freshman class who, you know, all collectively reads one book or the whole community. But basically some large swath of the student body reads a book. And within this larger article was basically talking about how they came up with the common core book for the year. And a then student, and this article also was from like a couple of years, like it was very bizarre. I don't even know how the fuck Sarah Dessen found this article, right? Like it's, it's random USA, like it makes no sense. But basically it was a woman saying, you know, within the larger context of her article, she's saying, you know, when I'm picking a common core book, I, she, it was a young woman who was a then student. so like a 22 year old college student saying, well, you know, I really wanted a book like Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson or, you know, When Breath Becomes Air by Paul um, Kalanithi, you know, like, like kind of naming what she, you know, in the larger context, it makes sense. She's saying, if we're going to make all these people read, I really want it to be one of these kind of larger social, you know, social justice books or a book that really meets the moment. And of course, Sarah Dessen took the one part out of context. And and at the end of the day, I'm sure compared to other critique Sarah Dustin has received, it's very tepid at best. Like, I'm sure she's had people scream expletives in her face. And somehow this thing is, is what she felt needed to be ignited out of context on Twitter. It's so arbitrary. It, it feels like weaponizing like a random screenshot to, yeah. to like galvanize support when like, as far as I know, like it's not like she was going through a, a rough time. Like she's been consistently successful for years. It, I, I don't no understand idea. why that yeah. felt like a moment to try to like drum up support by taking this article out of context and just like taking a screenshot of it. Exactly. Well, the whole thing blew up because obviously you have all of these famous authors and not just YA authors saying all sorts of, a lot of just, just very rude, mean, awful, condescending, like you name it, someone said it. And basically, yeah, I mean, you had, for instance, Angie Thomas, um, The Hate You Give was a common core book at this university the year before. And she went on this whole thing about, you know, like, I never want you all to read my book again. Like, I don't want to be associated with it. Like, And again, everyone's like, and that was before everyone kind of figured out what was happening. And obviously, very quickly, um, the tide turned to, wait, why are all these YA authors who are always talking about, you know, empowerment, speaking up, you know, standing up for the the little guy, not bullying? Like, why are they bullying a literal college student when these are all grown adult people in their like 30s, 40s, even 50s? So basically, yeah, Sarah Dessen offered up this really kind of lukewarm apology about, you know, sometimes it's hard as an author, blah, blah, blah. And I have to say that I really, again, I'm saying personally, it turned me off. I just, it just felt very unnecessary. I don't like when people punch down, especially people who are in some sort of position of influence. And it just, above all, was just so random. Because again, it's not like someone in the New York Times where you're like, oh, a billion people are reading this. It's like a South Dakota local newspaper had a 22, 23 year old say that they preferred other very critically acclaimed books over another book. Like it's, it's anyway. So I would say I have to, yeah, so I have to be completely honest. And this is why this is important is that some of my feelings on Sarah Dessen and any of her writing, as I look back and do rereads or just think about her work is going to be tainted by the fact that she did something pretty shitty only about a year and a half ago for no reason. Like to this day, I am beyond perplexed as to how point A got to point Z. Like it does not make any sense. I'm not saying she needs to answer for it at this point because we've all sort of moved on, but it it does need to be said. Like I can't, I can't talk about her books ever without bringing up that this very bizarre thing happened. I mean, relatively recently, considering that she's been publishing since, you know, 1996, like to this day, could not tell you what could have possibly been going through her head, how she even found that article, why that very kind of I think normal, like maybe at most quasi condescending response would set her off. I I don't get it. So, you know, maybe the last straw situation, I don't know, but, but yeah. So I think going into this reread, why I'm a little bit more 
iffy on Sarah than I might have been even like three to four years ago. I think that's that's a big why for me. And again, the fact that you can look this up and everyone covered this controversy is like, it. I don't know. I was reading details before I came on and some of it was worse than I remembered it being. So it was, I don't know. The whole thing is just stands out in my mind very, very vividly. Well, I appreciate you sharing that context. I think it's really important. I think it's a good reminder of the fact that in 2021, none of these things exist in a vacuum. We don't live in a vacuum. The content that we consume can't live in a vacuum. Creators who are using their platforms to promote their work and to connect with their fans do have a responsibility to be mindful of the way that they're using their platforms. And they do have to answer when they are not responsible about that. And I think this sounds like a case of a Google alert gone horribly wrong and a really impulsive decision to share something. And I guess what I would like to say sort of overall, because I know that there are a lot of Sarah Dessen fans in the SSR community, I would say that I won't speak for Lily, but I guess what I'm saying is that I can certainly appreciate the role that an author like Sarah Dessen or Sarah Dessen herself may have played in your life as a teen, as a reader. I respect the degree to which an author like this can really um, make a teenager or a tween feel less alone. I respect that she may have really inspired you to become a reader. I think that's really beautiful. I think that there are parts of her writing that are really lovely. She's a beautiful writer. And I think that that can certainly be celebrated. And and even though I have lukewarm feelings about this book in particular, there are certain things that I get. Like I, I get why it appeals. But I also am sort of... I guess I'm just confused about what somebody like Sarah Dessen has to gain in a situation like the one that Lily just described. And as listeners know, I have very complicated feelings about cancel culture, as I think everybody does. I don't think what we're saying is like cancel Sarah Dessen. I think it's just context. Like all these things, yeah. everything. Look, she, she was one of my favorite authors. She can, yeah. It's a both and situation, right? Sarah Dessen was one of my favorite authors as a teen. Um, the Truth About Forever was a book I actually gifted a friend who had, had lost a parent, for instance, mm. and had wanted a book that kind of spoke to her. So I, I it's a, you know, I obviously hold, um, and especially as, as a younger person, held her work in such high esteem. So I think both those things can be true. I was really disappointed to see this whole situation blow up a year and a half ago as of this recording. And I really enjoyed her work. I, you know, I, like I said, I read, what was it, like six, seven, eight of her books. So yeah, so I, I honestly think it doesn't even have to get to a question of who cancels or whatever. It's just both and. They, we all exist um, in multiple places on on the grid there. So She's the same person who wrote those excellent books. She's unfortunately also the same person who bullied a college student on the internet for reasons that can escape both of us, you and me, everyone listening. I'm I'm still confuzzled um, to make up a word there. <laughs> it's so strange. But yeah, I just, I think for me, the, the root of it is that um, especially authors who have been as wildly successful as somebody like Sarah Dessen has been, it's okay for us as a community of readers especially as a community of readers who want to advocate for narratives that represent a wide swath of people who want authors to understand their role in promoting those kinds of voices. It's okay and more than okay for us to hold authors like that, wildly successful authors to account and to ask questions and to still read their books. We read, we read her book, you know, we're talking about it. it. Look at the conversation it started 20, plus years after it was published, we're still reading this book. So both things can be true. And I'm anxious to see if there's a conversation that we as an SSR community can have about all of this, because it is interesting. And it's, you know, I'm fascinated just by pop culture in general, and about how Mm -hmm. these different forms of media that we like spend our literal lives on inform the way we consume things and the way that we interact with authors and other creators that we love. So I just think it's kind of a fascinating conversation. Let's talk about Keeping the Moon. So first of all, it blew my mind that that this was published in 1999. She has been writing for so fucking long. I you can't fault the girl for that. I oh, she's been publishing for twenty five years. That is impressive. And regardless of what she did, whenever she's made a boatload of money, right? A lot of people love her books. She's obviously related to a lot of people, and there are there's quite a bit of merit to what she's written. There's also some things that are very much of that time of nineteen ninety nine both in terms of the technology they talk about and and the themes. It took me a second when they they were describing someone's like phone in this. And I had a moment of like, why doesn't he just have an iPhone? And then it hit me that it was 1999. Yeah. You're like, why don't you just put it on silent or put it on vibrate? And it's like, why are, <laughs> is this just like a hipster kid? It's like, oh no, like not everyone had a cell phone. Like it wasn't assumed that you had your own personal 
little device that you never let go of. So Right. And he couldn't be reached via text as an alternative. So Yeah, no, it's just wild, truly wild. So we meet Coley, who is 15, and her mother is Kiki Sparks, which is a great name. Like Kiki Sparks is a great character name. And Kiki Sparks really fascinated me from a 2021 perspective because Kiki Sparks is this sort of like world famous fitness coach who has built her whole brand around her own personal weight loss journey and seems to really have like made a name for herself. She's like come through kind of like the personal training route. Uh, When she was trying to lose weight, she started working out at a gym and she had all of this enthusiasm about fitness and she transitioned into coaching other women and women found her really relatable because she was going through the same journey herself. And she really does seem to just have this very optimistic, encouraging personality. And she rode that wave all the way to the bank, has become this very successful trainer. Um, and I couldn't help but think about her as this like influ- like this Instagram influencer. I was picturing her in 2021 as somebody who's like not just a fitness coach, but also like a lifestyle coach. And she's just like a guru in all of these ways. And she's just become like a general influencer. And I actually felt like she felt much more um, like real to me, I think, in 2021 than she maybe would have felt to me in 1999. Like she's somebody mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, yeah, she she would be famous. Whereas in 1999, especially as a kid, I would have been like, I don't understand why she's so successful. But now I totally get it. Oh, you could see her if this was 2021 doing those like before and after Transformation Tuesday photos on Instagram. You know, you could it also some of the way she talked to is very much of the sort of wellness meets like manifestation culture that we see today, which there's much to be said on both sides of the spectrum of all of that talk, the body positivity stuff, but also some of it does have some problematic undertones to it. You know, all of it's very, yeah, it's weird how ahead of its time that part of this book was (laughs) like, again, considering it was what, 22 years ago. And I was like, yeah, I, I can tell you exactly what Kiki Sparks of 2021 would post on her Instagram every day of the week. Could a thousand, I could tell you what products she would sell. Even some of the ones mentioned in the book, I was like, I can a hundo percent see that today. Someone's probably yeah. knocking it on the internet. Yeah, that that part of this book was wild. Um, and I agree. I, I definitely related to it, I think, more now than I would have as, a, you know, if I had read it as a teenager all the way back in the day. Yeah, so much SpawnCon. And I actually, I think there was a lot about Kiki that I liked. It was almost, it was almost like the things that bothered me about Kiki and her journey and her like position in the world. It was more about the way that other people related to her and the way that other people talked about her. Because to your point, I think that she's ahead of her time in a lot of ways in the way that she is trying to be relatable to women. And there's a huge danger in that, of, as we've seen the downfall of several sort of like lifestyle gurus and personal development celebrities over the last couple of weeks even who are trying to be relatable to their communities. <laughs> Shout out to Rachel Hollis. Oh my God. I can't even go down that road because that's a whole thing. I eat everything of that up. I love I love gossip. I love tea. I love my tea caffeinated. I love it with sugar, cream, all of it. Yeah. Piping hot. That the Rachel Hollis situation is has given me endless fodder. And it's just for me. I don't even share with it. I just like to read it. So any influencer downfall, I have probably read about it on the internet because I I'm just fascinated by how that culture works. And I yeah, Kiki Sparks. Yeah, I think related to that, I think how, okay, so I'm someone who I'm pretty open about it has dealt with body dysmorphia, disordered eating and whatnot. And so I was actually really interested to read this book because it was actually one of the few, yeah, Sarah Dessen books from that era I had not read, but I, I knew what it was about. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons I strangely didn't read it earlier. It was interesting to see thinking about how anything about weight or fitness or, or body image, you know, was talked about again, and keeping in mind it was 1999 versus how it'd be discussed today. I, I see where the nuance of then was lacking <laughs> compared to, or at least the way people would step around it today versus how it's sort of blunt in this very particular way in terms of how Kiki Sparks talks about it. And then in terms, obviously, of how, how Coley talks about her position within, you know, body image, weight, all of that stuff. Absolutely. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And listeners will know that I also, I share that experience. I've, I've dealt with body dysmorphia and disordered eating throughout my life. And it's sort of weird the last couple of weeks, unintentionally, it's sort of been a series of books that cover this subject matter to different degrees. And so I feel like I've been very in 
this mindset recently, reading these books and preparing for the podcasts about them. And this book has this like fitness bent to it, which the other books that we've talked about in this space haven't. And also just the sense of like, this like commodification of wellness and Mm -hmm. the monetization Mm -hmm. of wellness, which I think in 1999 was still a pretty new idea. Like if Kiki Sparks had been a real person in 1999, she would have been a trailblazer. And I have to admire that. But to your point, there's so much nuance in the way these women are talking about their bodies, especially the way they're talking about their bodies to a child. Coley is 15 years old, but we get flashbacks to her when she's much younger. And just, I found that I had to keep reminding myself just about the importance of language. And that's something that's Mm -hmm. come up on some of the other recent episodes, just like the importance of the way that we talk about our bodies, the way that we talk about food, the way we talk about exercise. Like that's something that I personally, even at a point in my life where I I do think my issues with food and and my body are probably about as under control as they're going to Mm -hmm. be right now. Yeah, I, I just think all of it is very, it's very important to think about the way that you talk about these things, if not for yourself, then for other people, because you don't know how fucked up (laughs) some people are about these things. And I say that as somebody who is fucked up about these things. So I think when reading a book like this, it's really an opportunity because these are books written for younger people. It's a great opportunity to really like parse the language and pay attention to the words that are being used, the tone that's being used. And also just like bearing in mind that there are children involved in all of this. Oh, absolutely. I think the thing that stuck out to me the most, and this is also probably because of some reading and other writing I've been doing in my professional life as well, is there's a very late 90s, early 2000s view of feminism in this that's very mm. individually driven, right? You, you're the, the person who's blocking yourself. You're the one who can do this. That's kind of a theme. And that's actually, I'm sorry not to get too deep on the feminist route here, but that is a theme of this book in general, right? It's like, you're the one who needs to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and like, it's all within you, Coley, to feel better. And and obviously a very 2021 lens would be, well, there are a lot of systemic problems that go back a very long time. And she's, you know, dealing with the, the byproduct of all of those. So I think that was the thing, especially around conversations in this book around, yeah, body image, appearance, weight, um, all of that, that kept standing out to me is I was like, the number one thing probably that would be so different, or maybe one of the top three things, if this was a 2021 book is, I do not think that that would be the over one of the overarching takeaway messages would be this idea of personal empowerment as a means of like greater enlightenment or a means of getting out of a current station in life just would be entirely different uh, and, and is entirely different in a lot of the YA books we see and a lot of the adult fiction books we see. But that was the thing that kept standing out to me, especially when it came to anything dealing with Kiki Sparks is, again, not necessarily saying, and I think, again, Sarah Destin was writing of that time. It makes perfect sense. But I, the whole time I was like, this is 100% something that like any publisher would like flag this for mainstream publishing in terms of what the overarching, you know, like takeaway message would be. It would be like, fight the man, not like, if you work hard enough, you can be the man, you know? So right. um, that's that's at least, like I said, what I, I personally kept coming back to, or it was like niggling in the back of my mind as, as I was reading. Yeah, I think that's true. But I also feel like, and this is jumping to the end of the book, we'll jump around, of course, as always, there was this weird thing that happened where like, I feel like Coley throughout the whole course of the book is struggling with her insecurities and, and trying to catch her mind and her mental health up to where her body is because listeners we hear over and over and over and over again about how she's lost 45 and a half pounds with her mom's help um we get that number over and over and over again and she's really trying to figure out like how she can feel confident in the way she presents herself because Mm -hmm. she still doesn't feel like she can even though she knows that like she's lost the weight so i feel like she's she's kind of testing out all these different things over the course of this summer that she spends with her aunt Mira while her mom's off promoting her like workout videos or whatever. And in the end though, it it felt to me as though like where she got her validation was kind of in this boy, Norman. And I'll I'll read this quote that I pulled out because it, it was like, it was just like so annoying to me because I'm like, what was all of this for? Like you've been on this journey of self-discovery this whole summer. Mm-hmm. And then we get this line because Norman, who's this like artistic guy who's living in this small town on her aunt's property, he does a painting of her, which is really nice. Yeah. And she's like regarding the painting and taking in herself in the painting. And she says, 
The girl was something else though, something I hadn't expected. She was beautiful, not in the cookie cutter way of all the faces encircling Isabel's mirror and not in the easy, almost effortless style of a girl like Carolyn Dawes, who side note is like a terrible popular girl at her school. The girl who stared back at me with her lip ring and her half smile, not quite earned, knew she wasn't like the others. She knew the secret and she clicked her heels three times to find her way home. And it's like in that moment, she's like, oh, I'm beautiful. And I just had this reaction rise. Like, I feel like it wasn't until she saw herself through this boy's eyes Mm -hmm. that she was able to accept herself and be like, oh, maybe I don't look like the other girls, but I'm still beautiful. And I can wear my lip ring and I'm still beautiful. But it felt like it all had to be filtered through Norman it's through the literal male gaze. Like he he had to yeah. gaze upon her to paint her. And then, and then Right. And not only did he gaze upon her, but then he mm-hmm. like interpreted it through his own like secondary filter of like brain to hand to paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And so it was like these multiple filters of Normans that like that's what fed her like the confidence to be able to look at this painting of herself and be like, wow, like I am beautiful, like I'm home. And it just made me sad because I do feel like one of my frustrations with the book in general was that I don't feel like I got to know Coley at all. I I found some of the secondary characters much more compelling and yet we kept coming back to Coley and it just, it made me sad that not only did I not get to know her at all, but even in the moment that I feel like it was supposed to be this big revelation for her, that didn't even feel like it gave me any sort of feeling about her. It just made me frustrated. I think, and I I kind of skimmed a couple of other Sarah Dessen books in in preparation for this because I was trying to remember. And so again, Sarah Dessen fans, I'm coming at this from like, you know, a 10 to, what is it, 14 year, you know, re- remembering rewind. So I might get some things wrong here or or I'm going off of, again, how it felt then versus now. But I feel like from what I recall about her books in general is a lot of times the main protagonist, who is typically, you know, a cishet woman, white woman, usually, is almost like the blandest character in her books, because to a certain extent, um, there's kind of that belief sometimes that it's easy, it's easiest for readers to kind of inhabit the bodies of those characters in certain ways. So you almost feel like you are that character kind of watching all of these people. Because if you think about a lot of her books, there's always wacky side characters and weird friends. And I agree, like Isabel, actually a very fascinating character, especially, yes. especially for a YA book and of this time too really complex person uh, to, I feel like we still hadn't quite unpacked her fully. Morgan, the other friend, also someone who you're like, okay, there's a lot to unpack with her and her mm-hmm. relationship. I will say Norman. Okay. I, I, and I said this in, in my podcast episode, which is that the kind of artsy moody boys of Sarah Dessen books definitely ruined my adult love life. I think these sort of artsy men are really cute when you're 15, but when you're me and you're 27 and there's some artsy man who lives in a basement and is like, I see the through my paintbrush you're like this isn't cute anymore like oh no I've been to enough therapy to know to like swerve all the way around like go down the detour and never look back say no to the painting do not agree to the painting yeah like like would I ever do that like would I think that was hot when I was like 15 16 17 fuck yes the Lily Herman of yesterday is all about it she is praying that a man is going to serenade her with remembering Sunday from all time low Lily Herman of today is like not about it. She does still think remembering Sunday is a bop that we can all agree on, but not, no. I would never go for the artsy boy living in a basement who like is is like collecting sunglasses and like that's all he does and is like, I'm misunderstood by my parents. I'd be like, yes, I, I'm not saying if you know someone like that or you are that person that like you're a terrible human being, but like there's a lot more to that type you realize in real life than what a Sarah Dessen book portrays it to be. And especially if you're, if you're of that age. So I will say on that front, I do have a point against Sarah Jessen just for that, because I definitely was into that type as a teen because of a lot of her books and other books like them. And end of this rant about Norman. (laughs) That makes sense. I sort of feel that way about Seth Cohen and the OC. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you ruined me just because I thought that there was a perfect mix of like emo nerd, but also being hot that I was like, he's out there somewhere and I will find him and he will introduce me to the coolest music. And I don't, I just don't think there are that many Seth Cohen's out there. So I understand, I I understand how pop culture can sort of ruin your love life. I've recently been rewatching the OC because there's a new podcast, like a mm -hmm. recap podcast, and I'm making my husband watch it with me. And I was like, just so you know, (laughs) this man right here, this, because he was a man, I thought that he was a teen, but this is a man. I was like, he ruined me and also I loved him. 
So mm-hmm. I understand. And Norman is like, Norman really, I feel like I was supposed to have a stronger reaction to Norman than I did. And maybe it's because I'm 30 years old. But I, and I guess when I was 13, 14, 15, I probably would have been very taken with him. And I also would have been able to overlook this like icky feeling that I have that like he was sort of put in the story to show Coley who she is, which I vaguely remember being a criticism I had of this lullaby. I think one of the conversations that my guest and I had about that book was like the love interest of the main character was doing a lot of like telling her who she was. Yes. Mm -hmm. And explaining to her like how she, what she needed and like how she didn't understand what she wanted and like all of these things. So it, this tracks with what I remember about the last Sarah Dessen book that I read. So for me, the love story was like very much like incidental in this book. I really appreciated the friendship aspect. And I think that the book would have, it wouldn't have really been any different for me. And I'm sorry, Coley, I know you're a character, but I'm still going to apologize to you because this sounds harsh. I didn't necessarily need Coley in this book for it to exist as the part of the story that I loved the most, which was this relationship between Isabel and Morgan. And again, this might be because I'm 30 and Isabel and Morgan are like in their early 20s. So they're, they're a few years older than Coley. She meets them working at this diner called Last Chance. And they are like these two roommate gal pals who live in a little house in this beach town in North Carolina. And they have this really fascinating dynamic. They each have really interesting individual backstories. And Coley like is observing them. She's kind of coming in and out of their orbit feeling uncomfortable about whether or not she can have a role in their duo. And I just, I ate that part of it up. And I really wanted to care about Coley more, but I just feel like I wasn't learning anything about her. So I was like, just give me more Isabel, give me more Morgan. I loved their dynamic. And I have to say, like, major props to Sarah Dessen on this part. I think especially remembering the books from this era that that I just come to mind, there was a lot of that sort of, I'm not like other girls, a lot of catfight stuff. And I feel like this was a much better portrayal of the complexities of female friendship, particularly in those fraught periods of like your early 20s, in particular, like late teens, early 20s. Um, we never exactly get how old they are, to my knowledge. But yeah, I, I I loved their dynamic. It was fascinating. We've all had friendships like that. Also, because we're both kind of out of that early 20s, late teens stage, you also kind of know that there's like, I don't want to say I hate the word toxicity because it means 80,000 things to different people. There are definitely some things they need to work out in therapy, whether together or apart, but that you're like, oh, but I remember being at that age and like having that push and pull with like that certain friend or within that certain friend group. But you're also like, you need each other, but that also you definitely just screamed at each other. And, and you're like, you know, again, as someone who's older, I'm like, we should have just worked that out and communicated our issues in a typical way and like processed our emotions. But like, you don't know that when you're like 21 or, or however old you are. And did my best friend and I have a very similar fight over a guy when we were like 16 with like very, very uncannily similar problems? Yes. Was I definitely the Isabel? Yes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I, yeah, I, I loved that part of this book. I was actually really surprised at how well Sarah Dessen portrayed female friendship in a way that actually is still very relevant to today, I would say. Yeah. And I think I can be self-aware enough as a reader to say that maybe the reason I didn't connect with Coley was because Sarah Dessen offered me these two other women that felt to me as central, I mean, they they were supporting characters, but they really were a strong presence in the book. So they weren't like super supporting characters. They they were right there with Coley, I would say, as protagonists. They're closer to my age. I could relate to them more. I think if I handed this book to a younger reader at this point, they maybe wouldn't really care as much about Isabel and Morgan. So I obviously want to like caveat all of this by saying this might just be a function of like where I am in my life. And I did, I appreciated the notion too of this 15-year-old showing up in town. Again, I feel like I don't know anything about her. I can't say that enough. But I like that she showed up and that she's mentored by these Mm -hmm. women in their early 20s. And I was sort of expecting when she first got to town that like her her aunt Mira would be the one who played a stronger role in helping her to like transform from point A to point B. And I guess there's an argument to be made for that because I do think that Mira sort of shows – Coley what it's like not to care what other people think of you because Mira is this target of all the gossip in this small town and like Coley can't understand like why that doesn't phase her and it just doesn't and I I guess that's a lesson to me it was a much less like resonant part of the book for me it really was about Isabel and Morgan befriending her but also just like 
teaching her just by their actions, like what to expect in their life. Like, I guess I, I don't know that I've read that storyline before, certainly not in a YA book and definitely not from this time period, because I think, I would think maybe it was like a risk in the nineties to write a book about a 15 year old who is hanging out with grownups. Yeah. Who, who can with drinking, they're smoking, yeah. they're having sex, they're having sex with men who are cheating on them, who are married to strippers. Like, I think that these were probably fairly like racy things by 1999 standards. And I liked the fact that we got to see Coley smack in the middle of some of these situations that I don't know that I would have read about in other books during this time. So that that was cool. I liked that they were, it was just a very unique kind of relationship to read about in YA from Mm -hmm. the 90s. Oh, 100%. I will say too, I was wondering the whole time, I was like, if there was an 18-year-old dating a 15-year-old, like, would we see that today? I was just thinking about it. I'm not coming after anyone. You know, I'm just, I, I was like, huh, now that I think about a lot of why, recent YA, it's always like, the people are the same grade or like one's a senior, one's a junior. Like, would you see a three plus year age difference? I don't know. But again, yeah, it's, it's a really different book on that front. And I think too, yeah, as you're talking about sort of these older older girls I'm thinking too of like through the eyes of a 15 year old there's almost like a mysticism of like college age women when you're that age I think about for instance when I was 10 and 11 and and yeah 10 11 and maybe about to turn 12 I had a babysitter who was 18 and I remember thinking and and this was actually in the mid 2000s I remember thinking like she's so cool she wears Hollister she drove this like red two-door car I remember she had like a picture of her and her boyfriend kissing like on some part of her dashboard like taped I was like oh my god I'm gonna also have a boyfriend and I'm gonna put up a picture when I have a car in like you know however many years and so I just remember that that kind of like there yeah there was like a mysticism to that age and and obviously again you and I are much very far past that stage now so now we're like oh my god 21 year olds are children they're all just like grown-up children you know so it's it's just funny yeah how I I definitely had to check myself a little bit even in this conversation and be like no wait I have been in that phase of like holy crap these older girls are so cool and blah 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 and yeah I'm I'm kind of astonished that Sarah Dessen went with the storyline of them kind of mentoring her and also not like talking down to her necessarily even if Isabel was like mean it wasn't in a place of like you're little and you know like f you it was kind of like girl I have been there like you don't do that and also Isabel also had some impulse control and needed to think before she spoke, but it was, yeah, it was a very different portrayal of friendship for a lot of YA books, but especially of that time period, which yeah, is, is very wild to me. the more I'm thinking about it. They were mentoring her, but not because they were perfect. And I actually like, as I reflect on it, I feel like, I feel like this is sort of a route in your early twenties. That's often not portrayed in pop culture like I feel like when I was growing up it was always like oh you turn 18 or 19 you go to college and like that's what you do and I think it's kind of cool that in this book we're seeing two women in their early 20s who like we don't really know where they come from we don't really know if they're local we don't know where their families are Mm -hmm. but they're independent they're not going this traditional route this quote traditional route that we've come to see you know we've come to see it that way and they're like working at this restaurant and living together and like figuring out their lives I think it's really cool and I really was struck by how real the dynamic between them especially with respect to Morgan's fiance Mark like it was so real (laughs) Morgan is engaged to this guy Mark who is he was obviously terrible and she's just constantly making excuses for him like why he never shows up why he never calls why he's always breaking promises and I have so many quotes written down from Isabel where Isabel is just like I don't know what you want me to tell you this you're trying to pretend like this is fine and you're mad at me for criticizing him because you are trying to find a place to direct your anger and like you know I'm right and Morgan is like you're jealous it's just, it's this like classic interplay and I think everybody has been on one or the other side of this exchange with a friend at some point. And it's such a hard lesson to learn for both parties. It's a hard lesson for the person in the bad relationship to learn to acknowledge that a relationship that you think is really healthy and great isn't. And it's a hard lesson for the person on the other side to recognize that oftentimes your friends just have to learn for themselves and you can't bear the responsibility and it actually will be really deleterious to your friendship. That was a good word that I just used. Whoa. Lovely SAT word, A++. That was a $20 word. Um, It can be really deleterious or damaging to your friendship to like 
continue down that line of thinking. Yeah. Of course, if your friend is in danger, it's a different situation. But I do think like is it as Isabel was not going to make any headway with Morgan on Mark. And Morgan really did have to like come to the truth on her own. But I just have like asterisks all over the margins of my book because I was like, oh, this is like such an adult thing. And it was kind of cool to read about it in a YA book. But I think the thing that I I will say was hard for me about Isabel was there was this whole like makeover subplot and I want to make sure we touch on this because it's such a trope of books and of other pop culture in this time period especially where it's like Coley shows up she has recently gone through this terrible thing at school where the kids are spreading rumors about her there's slut shaming going on and I think there's a whole other conversation to be had about like the way this book presents sex and I find it to be very sex negative she has sort of coped by changing her appearance, which I do think is a common thing. She wants to hide. Like she doesn't want people to see her. She dyes her hair dark. She pierces her lip and that's how she shows up in town. And Isabel is like, no, no, this won't do basically. Like you can't come out of your shell. Like you can't come out of your 45 and a half pound lighter shell if you have a lip ring and dark hair. (laughs) And I do feel like Isabel's intentions were good but as we all know in 2021 impact is much more important than intentions and I do feel like the impact of Isabel's actions was that like Coley absorbs the fact that the way that she was choosing to present herself was not enough and that she had to look like Isabel or or look more like Isabel in order to be attractive to Norman or even like acceptable to herself and to the other girls she was trying to meet into her family and that she like couldn't possibly gain confidence and come into her own like fully realized self if she had a lip ring Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying she like had to keep the lip ring in but for me like the lip ring felt so symbolic of the fact that like like you can have a lip ring and still be beautiful, everybody. Like breaking news. Like it doesn't mean you're not broken if you've chosen to change your appearance. You're not broken if you've decided to experiment with the way you look and the way that you present yourself in the world. And I do feel like we're sort of dancing on the boundary of that message in this book where it's like, if you've chosen to make these sort of drastic changes to your appearance, that must mean that there's something very wrong with you and that must be rectified. And that really did bother me about Isabel. And I know that sort of the like the big reveal at the end is that like Isabel also went through some really, really challenging times when she was younger. And she also had lost a lot of weight and like was a geek and people made fun of her and like, look at her now. And so she knows what Coley's going through. But I was like, let her like, let her live, like, let her bring some of herself into this new environment. And like, Maybe she changed her appearance because it made her, it gave her confidence that she was lacking when all of these rumors are going on. And uh, I don't know, I, that sort of like took a lot away from it for me. I had, yeah, I had so many complex feelings on how appearance and body image was dealt with in this book. And I think that's one of them too. You know, I think of, so 1999, I want to say it's Alana Kaplan who wrote a phenomenal piece and I I wish I remembered if it was if it was Bustle because I work for Bustle. I'm like, oh no. But she wrote this excellent piece. I want to say it's for Bustle, the New York Times. Uh, I can't remember where about kind of 1999 being this really just like incredible time in terms of pop culture history and the types of, especially teen related movies. You know, so I'm thinking of like the She's All That, right? Of 1999, mm-hmm. same year this book came out. And that's also a whole thing of, you know, you were always beautiful on the inside with like a couple issues, but like once your appearance on the outside changed, like, and you're hot, now you're good to go. Like, thank goodness. <laughs> so, and you'll feel better too. Like, wait till you see how much better you feel. Exactly. And again, I think the message of today's YA books would be much more around this idea of almost like love yourself the way you are, body neutrality against systemic issues of how we all think about weight and and weight loss and body image and body dysmorphia. But yeah, I I. And I'm still like, because I read this book and then I kind of did like a re-skim right before this episode. I'm still unpacking just, yeah, the very, the, the very weird messaging around it to the point where I was like, well, what is the takeaway? It's it's supposed to be kind of that, yeah, Coley, like the beauty, like her, the greatness was always within her. Um, but then also it's like, okay, but everyone saw it when she started changing her outward physical appearance. But then also it's about like confidence and doing what makes you feel confident. But it also was kind of what Isabel saw as like beautiful versus what Coley wanted. So I, I I think there was a real push and pull for me. Again, though, within the context of 1999, especially teen culture, it makes such perfect sense of this idea of like, if only you're outside, even like a Taylor Swift, you belong with me moment, which I know was like nine years later. But like, even that kind of like, if you just saw what's inside of me, if you had the big prom moment, like prom reveal at the end, you know, you would see it. So I, I think that's, 
I'm rambling because I am tripped up on liking certain aspects of it and also being a little bit taken aback by others. And then also understanding the cultural context of what, what the sort of high school, you know, uh, ugly duckling girl who just needs, or a caterpillar who just needs to, you know, come out and evolve and, and metamorphosize into a butterfly, like that whole narrative of that time. It just, it's so crystal clear in this book. And even as I'm talking about it, I'm like, yeah, it all kind of makes sense, even though I do not think it would fly today. And I I would have many thoughts and feelings on it, especially reading as, you know, a 15-year-old versus I do now, you know, 12 years later. But yeah, no, I, I have so many conflicting feels. That's basically what I'm saying. I'm, I, I would be terrible at writing like a dissertation on this book because I'd be like, well, I felt multiple ways about multiple things. <laughs> and, and It's complicated for sure. And I'm actually like, I feel like I'm, I'm liking it more as we're talking about it than I did when I was reading it on my own. And I think to this point about like Coley's appearance, a lot of the reviews I read, which I will link in the show notes, they're fangirling over Norman and like how great he was. And a few people mentioned like, and it was so great that he accepted her and like all of her different like looks. And that means that he's like a good guy. And I'm like, no, like that's not proof that somebody's a good guy. He should have liked her like from the beginning. Like also, I just, I, again, I come back to the Norman of it all. And as a woman in my like now barely late twenties, I'm like, nope. We not going down that road, girl. Like, like, don't do it. Don't do the artsy man who lives in the basement and is feuding with his father because they both don't know how to talk about their feelings and just go to therapy. Like Norman, yeah. Like I don't hate Norman, but it's just the Norman of it all is how I'll just put it. I yeah, like I I don't find him to be like, especially as someone who obviously reads critiques and and talks about romance constantly. I don't. He will not be one of the great book boyfriends of my time. Again, speaking to just me. Ugh. Norman, <laughs> yeah, like, like I get what he was supposed to represent and might represent and, and probably would have definitely represented to me right. reading this as a teen. But the me of today was like, mm -mm, girl, like Coley, I'm not saying go to what's name Josh. He also red flag city, but ugh, none of these men are it. It's okay, girl. You just gotta, gotta wait it out. I mean, you know, we're all going to make some mistakes, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, um, and even compared to some other YA I've read, you know, in recent years, I don't think that Norman comes to mind as like the dream boat um, for me personally, of, again, of, of today. <laughs> yeah, you're better off hanging out with Isabel and Morgan and dancing to Celine Dion. It's better. That's a better way to spend your summer. I totally agree. I feel like there's so many other things that we could talk about with this book. But as we start to wrap up our time together, I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are like overall on like Coley's journey and whether it was satisfying, like if you feel like she grew, because I feel like I've said over and over that I, I didn't get to know her at all. And so that made it sort of hard for me to gauge if I found her arc satisfying in the book as a whole. But I, I do feel like we're meant to take this like transformation story away from the book. And I'm just wondering if that landed for you. I'll be honest. I got to the last page, like flipped the, I was on my iPad for this and I couldn't believe the book was done. Like I, it, I was like, what am I missing pages of this, of this novel? It just felt a little abrupt. And yeah, I agree. I feel like we almost watched other people through Coley's eyes versus going through her journey with her that happened to have all of these other characters in it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm very conflicted on what we were exactly supposed to take away and I, I think what I'm struggling with is what the 1999 version of me would have taken away versus, again, the today version. 22 years later, like in my 20s version of me is going to take away from it. So I think that's what I was kind of trying to parse through, especially last night, kind of re-skimming re was, okay, am I supposed to know that like the beauty is within me? But if I, I look good on the outside too, that's when everything's going to align, like is it like this self-empowerment angle, which again, you still need, to, we all need to kind of, you know, have, have, have it within us. But once again, we have a much more nuanced idea of what that actually means today than, than we did in 1999. So yeah, I think I, and again, it's like, it's like, I'm confused as the takeaway, but I don't necessarily think, think all of that is like Sarah Dessen didn't write a good book. It's just that reading it in my current self, trying to not confuse what my current self thinks versus what I would have thought had I read as I did any of her other books as a teenager or preteen, you know, what I would have taken away from it. But yeah, I don't, I, I, I will say, all I can say is I turned that last page and I was shocked that it was over. Like I, I was like, 
you know, I, I was like, I could have sworn we had another like 10 pages of runway here, but all of a sudden it's, you know, credits are rolling. There was a fucking moon, you know, eclipse and all the, you know, you was like, I was like, okay. We're keeping it. <laughs> keeping the moon. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I could not believe it. Like, and I don't know, again, it just to me ended so abruptly. It ended abruptly and yet it also went on too long with how I felt. I was like, this book was like 50 pages longer than it should be, but it was allocated in a weird way. And I felt like I needed more at the end. It was kind of a weird. Yeah, I, I was waiting for some resolution on some stuff that didn't come, which actually is also kind of a risky move liter from like a literary perspective, you know, with Sarah Dessen having these like kids smoking and drinking and then being like, I'm end the book in almost like a weird happy for now place or like a mm -hmm. generally content and staring at the sky place <laughs> and that's where we're just gonna like let that all hang out yeah she kind of weirdly took a bunch of risks with this book in very strange kind of unconventional and slightly subversive ways including the fact yeah that i i don't really i don't really know what the ending was exactly supposed to denote after a certain point yeah it was a little existential at the end for a second yeah, and then it was over like three paragraphs later. <laughs> and like I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. So I feel like it's the way that this book holds up to 2021 is very complicated. I feel like in some ways it feels very ahead of its time. In some ways it feels very problematic. In some ways it does feel like it hits some really relatable, honest notes. The writing is beautiful. Sarah Dustin is a great writer. I, I would never take that from her. Do you have any other thoughts that you wanted to share as far as just like how the story holds up to 2021? I know it's, it's really hard to capture that in like, a neat answer, but I want to make sure that there's nothing else that you wanted to add. Yeah, no, I would say it's a weird paradox of being both a very 1999 book and a strangely, um, a strangely ahead of its time book that did touch on some modern, you know, 22 plus years later themes, but definitely not a book that I could neat as much as I thought I was going to be able to, it's not a book you can neatly wrap up with a bow and feel like a very definitive way about, I feel like, unless you're like a Sarah Dustin stan or absolutely despise her and hate her guts. Like I, but as someone who sort of, again, has many feel complicated feelings on either side of that spectrum, I had, I had many more feelings than I thought I was going to have reading a Sarah Dustin book as an adult. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. It's weird. It sneaks yeah. up on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other than Keeping the Moon, what have you been reading lately that you loved? What have you loved that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, okay. So I, I actually do have to read a bunch for work. So I, in between that, and I do read a lot of stuff I do love for work, I will say I have gone a rat, down a rabbit hole in April of 2021 into now May of 2021. And I have read, I think, seven or eight Eden Finley books in the past, um, yeah, the past like two and a half, three weeks. Eden Finley is a romance writer. Um, I want to say mostly like indie as in self-published. You can get a lot of her stuff on Kindle Unlimited. I won't get into my thoughts on Jeff Bezos and Amazon, but it, I get that many people have Kindle Unlimited. And um, she writes, I think, almost exclusively queer romance, particularly um, male-male romance. And I am obsessed with her. She has really snappy dialogue. Her books, I will say, are tray steamy. So if you are a new romance, adult romance reader, um, would not start with Eden Finley because she will knock your socks off and you will be very stressed. Um, but they are not very, for beginners. Yeah, not, not for, for romance beginners. beginners. But, um, but I have been, yeah, just like loving... These books are very like low angst queer romances and they're very steamy and the characters are very lovable and there's it, there's a lot of banter. I'm I'm a I'm a bitch who loves snappy dialogue, so I have just been eating them up. Um but that's been kind of my like I need to unwind. I will say a more mainstream release. Um I'm trying to think here. What have I read recently mainstream releases? I just um did an interview I'm trying to think. I've done a bunch of interviews. But I, I will say I I did read One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. This is her sophomore novel. Many of you will know Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is her her debut, which is obviously, you know, one of the most popular yeah, recent contemporary romances of the last several years. Um, so One Last Stop comes out. I want to say June 1st, but I'm it definitely is June, but I, I'm forgetting the exact date. So that's been excellent. But if you are a more experienced romance reader who's not scared of a little bit of steam or like just stressed by a little bit of steam, Eden Finley books have taken over my life. She's all I talk about. Um, Mackenzie, my co-host, is very sick of hearing all my thoughts on every single Eden Finley book, especially because Mackenzie does not read as much steam as I do. And uh, she's like, that's great. Happy for you. Don't really care. Um, and uh, But yeah, that's what I've been reading and loving, I guess. Just a lot of, yeah, Eden Finley. 
she just hits yeah cool well i'll include links to those recommendations in the show notes for this episode and you just mentioned your co-host mackenzie listeners will know that mackenzie was actually on the show earlier this year we were talking about the magic attic club which was also super fun and i will link that episode in the show notes basically there's a lot of cool stuff in the show notes this week everybody so go check them out lily did you want to share a little bit more about your podcast friends to lovers so that we can send all of the ssr listeners over there yeah, so Friends to Lovers is um, it's the first podcast, I should say, of uh, the Bad Bitch Book Club Network. And it is a podcast where we use books as a jumping off point to talk about sex, relationships, you know, dating, love, romance, all of that good stuff. So that could be anything and everything from, as I said earlier, you know, an episode on uh, YA books that ruined our love lives. We actually had someone from the BDSM kink community come to, to kind of unpack Fifty Shades of Grey with us. And we, me and Mackenzie read it actually for the first time, which was an experience. Um, but we also- I've have, never read it. Oh, good. I've never you're, read it. You're not missing much, but also there, I get people who, I get why people loved it. I, I get it. I totally, we had a whole, like I said, a very kind of nuanced, long discussion about it. Um, we also had, for instance, you know, we, we had an episode on, um, you know, Sarah McLean, the critically acclaimed uh, historical romance author came on and we talked about blowjobs with her. So that's there. I will say too, by the time this episode comes out, um, episode one of season three will be out and we interviewed Adriana Herrera about literally getting into the nitty gritty of how she writes sex scenes in books. So if you ever wondered like how romance authors come up with that stuff like it's it's a i would say the podcast though overarchingly again isn't just about books we cover it's very thematic and it's more just yeah you know it's, it's a real celebration of talking about romance and romance novels um, but also being really honest and upfront and and critical too of how our society looks at at, at all of those topics uh, Mackenzie and i have very different uh book opinions and and book tastes so it's fun but we are also best friends so it's you know it's a good time we roast each other a little bit so if you like that too in a podcast we have a couple of, of spicy moments <laughs> between the two of us that's so fun well listeners go check out friends to lovers that first episode of the new season does sound really fascinating i will also be linking in the show notes to lily your work as a writer i know you have so many cool things going on it's been so fun chatting with you. I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad that we finally got to chat. I feel like we were like instant bestie book friends, book bestie friends, book best friends, whatever. I had the best time chatting with you and I'm so glad we did this. Oh, thank you. This was fantastic. And thank you to everyone for listening to my very, um, very chaotic Saradescent thoughts. So much to unpack. It's all chaotic. <laughs> I feel like I was chaotic too, but we made it work. Thanks, Lily. Thank you. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.